I know that I have held a lot of shame about it, Mm -hmm. mostly because it deals with sex and Mm -hmm. in society, you're not really supposed to want that, right? You're not supposed to (laughs) just not supposed to talk about sex. You're not supposed to, Mm -hmm. you know, want variety or whatever, Mm -hmm. but yet it's still a natural human emotion and need and thing that happened that you do that you want. Getting Discomfortable with Non-Monogamy So I guess my first question is, how did this begin? Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) I I suppose I'll take this one. Back in 2007, Emma and I were in college and we were studying abroad. It was our second year of college. And we'd been together a little, uh, not even quite a year. A little over a year. A little over a year. And... We were sort of at a point where neither of us had dated a lot, and we kind of came to the conclusion that we wanted to have some of those experiences. But not only that, we wanted to have those experiences for each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as in dating other people. Yep, dating other people. And so I I brought up the initial idea, I think, because... Like I wanted, I wanted her to have those experiences, and at the same time, like I, I did as well. But it wasn't, it wasn't born out of like I just want to go and hook up with as many people as I can. That was, that was never really the intent. It was exploring that sort of world of dating, but doing it with a partner. And, yeah. And we've always, we've always lived going on adventures together, and this is just sort of one more adventure that we can go on together. Mm-hmm. Right. And to give it a little bit more context, Finn and I met when we were in seventh grade and we were best friends throughout high school. So even though we had only been dating a year, we had a long, like many year history of a friendship. So we had a lot of trust built in our relationship as well. Um, that was there from a lot longer than just a year of dating. So that made it easier to go and try doing these new adventures together. And do you remember what that first conversation was like? I'd love to zoom in on that. Were were you shocked, Emma? Was there a kind of adjustment period? Were there some arguments? I don't remember being shocked at all. I remember being anxious because it was just felt crazy to do. Um, but it wasn't shocking at all. We were on the same page, I think, as far as like we just wanted to have fun and go do something adventurous and uh New. So we also were studying abroad and we didn't know anybody in the whole country. So we're, <laughs> we were like, well, why not now? You know, let's try it. So it, I don't, do you remember me being shocked that you brought it up? Yeah, I don't know about shocked. I think you were a little like, what is this? Or yeah. could we could actually do that? And I think it took a little bit of maybe convincing, but it wasn't definitely not coercing. I think it was more discussion around Yeah, now. yeah, for sure. So how long have you been together now? We've been together. <laughs> I need to do the, the math. Well, for like, we've been married for seven years. And we've been dating for 14. 14, but there was some points in there where we took a break, you know, in college because of one thing or another, working through our relationship. And so since college, we've been pretty much, you know, together we have been together, no, not, not pretty much. Pretty much, pretty much nonstop <laughs> since about 2010. So how has it evolved? You know, when you first started and brought this up, I'd love to know what the kind of learning curve was there. 
Oh boy. It's been a it's been a learning curve for sure. Yeah. So throughout college, you know, we were dating. We also and as Finn mentioned, you know, we split up a few times. So we didn't do that much dating of other people or exploring just a very little bit. We also went to school in a very remote area. So there weren't a lot of opportunities. However, after college, we moved out to a bigger city and got into exploring non-monogamy quite a bit more. And we definitely learned a lot of lessons. Um, throughout this whole time, we were dating people together. We never went on separate dates. Um, we wanted to have that whole experience together. And a lot of the lessons were just not being so patient with people. I mean, we were very nice people and we, we were very patient and then we'd get ourselves in situations that we didn't want to be in. So we needed to learn to have a little bit of more confidence and getting out of situations when we needed to. Yeah, I would say that was the bulk of our our issues early on. We're not really understanding what, you know, sort of what was acceptable and what wasn't. Or maybe we knew it wasn't acceptable, but it was uncomfortable for us to like put the stop to something um, when, you know, people have expectations. And, and that's sort of something that we've learned to overcome that, you know, our safety and not, not that we were ever really unsafe no. or in a dangerous position. No, but not at all. Just uncomfortable situations. Un- uncomfortable or people were drunk or just being annoying or disrespectful. And we just kind of powered through because we didn't want to be the, the rude people. And so learning to overcome that was a big thing for us. I mean, it still happens, right? You still get into a situation where everything seems like it's going great. And then it like swerves off the tracks and you're like, but a, little, it's a, lot, a little blindsided by it, but yeah. A lot more unusual now, I guess. Yeah, for sure. So you've gotten better at vetting the kind of people that you would go out with. Yeah, vetting them or pulling the plug early or deflecting if it's clearly neither of us are that interested. I think, you know, something that that happens early on for people when they first start exploring this is they're like, oh my God, this is a this is a real thing that we can do. And then the first time you meet somebody as a couple, whether it's an, another single person or whether it's a couple you're meeting up with, it's sort of this pressure that like, this is our one and only chance to do this. Mm. And so we have to make it happen because if mm-hmm. we don't, this could, this, this is it. Like, I think both people in the relationship are kind of in disbelief that you're actually doing what you're doing. Right. So kind of like a beggars can't be choosers thing. Exactly. And you're like, well, this might be the only time. So we just, let's just do everything that we possibly could in case we never get this opportunity again. And then as you sort of move through it and you realize that like, well, we can do this pretty much anytime we want. And there's a relatively large number of people out there who are who are looking for sort of the same thing, you know, it really, it really does benefit you to take your time and meet the right people Mm -hmm. and have really good experiences rather than just forcing it to happen with the first people you meet, because Mm -hmm. this is, this is it. This is the only time you'll ever get to do it. Yeah. And were you mostly going out with couples or with another person or was it a mix? It was mostly couples to start with. And it still mostly is couples. Yeah. Uh, like there's a lot of people who say, well, it has to be another couple. We're here to meet other couples. We're not here to date separately or find other people like that. And we've sort of evolved to where we're, we're open to whoever or whatever comes along. But at the moment, like just time constrictions and, and what we've been doing with our lives going off and dating separately is 
it just it doesn't really make a lot of sense right now. But both of us have that ability. Yeah. If we want, I think to. it's all the conversation's always on the table. Yeah. So you started always going on dates together, but at some point it evolved where you are at least theoretically allowed to go on dates with other people. Yeah. And there have been some some unique occasions where one or the other of us was busy or out of town for work or something, or somebody was traveling for work and the other person had an opportunity to do something and we've we've entertained that, but it's it's not ever been something where like we were both home on a Wednesday night and one of us was like, well, I'm going on a date tonight. That right. just, that just has not happened up to this point, but it, it's, it's allowed to happen right. if it does. Well, and a lot of people with non-monogamy, usually in our experience, I guess, talking to a lot of people either go on dates as couples or date separately or people usually fall in one of those two camps, except there's a lot of mixing too. It's kind of confusing, but. Well, I think to clarify that, I think a lot of times people want to say we're we're strictly swingers. We don't get feelings for people. They're looking for just a strictly a sexual connection. Right. And I guess polyamorous would be the other side. Yep, and on the other side of the coin are, are the polyamorous people who are who almost you'll hear sometimes a little bit of like condescension like oh, well, we don't want to just do that. We want deep connections and relationships and Mm -hmm. and so historically you you, when you talk to people there's sort of this perceived notion that these two camps are very separated but when you when you actually start digging into it something you hear a lot from people is well yeah we're swingers but we're looking for really deep connections with with we're looking to make really good friends and we're you know we want people that we can hang out with and have a barbecue with and have our kids over for play dates and You know, just, you know, it can either be a sexy time or it can be just a regular old, you know, normal people time. And (laughs) normal people. (laughs) Not supposed to say the word normal, but anyway, um, you know, and, and so you can look at that and say, well, how is that different than if you were in a relationship with these people? And, and on the, on the other side of the coin, you'll talk to some polyamorous people and they're like, well, yeah, we have relationships, but, you know, it's not like I don't just go out and hook up with people. And so to say that the two are, you know, mutually exclusive, I think is, it's just, it's really not true. And there's a lot of overlap and blending. And Right. I think people, if you define as non-monogamous or you want to explore non-monogamy, I think the key is figuring out what types of non-monogamy are for you. Because there's a wide range and you can pick and choose kind of what works for you. Well, and you don't have to label it. No, you, you just... don't have to label it. People try to get in. Yeah, you have to be one or the other. And that's just not true. So that's one thing we always try to encourage people to explore the idea that you don't have to fit into a box with this. And what was that exploration like for you? Do you guys come down on the swinger side or on the polyamorous side? Or have you explored both? Well, yeah, historically, it's been more of the, the swinging side. However, we started out wanting to meet friends and wanting to find people that we enjoyed hanging out with and going to do things with. And then if there was a sexual connection, that was a bonus. And that's always been our what we're interested in. So I think that, you know, that is a little more than your traditional swinging, but it's not quite polyamory because we're not dating people separately. So we're kind of in the middle, I would say. Yeah, and it's it'll typically be like we try to find people that we are compatible with on a friendship level. So that way, if it kind of relieves the pressure in terms of like, well, every time we hang out, it has to turn into 
something sexual. And so we have people that we've met through swinging or met them at a, a party or met them at a, a meet and greet or just went out on a, a date with them. And it has turned into like a six or seven year friendship where we hang out and have cookouts and we'll, you know, spend time with them and their kids or whatever. And we don't like, we don't have kids and, and it's not been anything sexual for years and years. And it just sort of evolved out of the sexual realm and into just a really good friendship. And then we have some where it's people that we've met through this, that it's never been sexual and it's just been really awesome friends that we can talk about anything with. And then there's some that it started as a friendship and then it's become sexual. So it's, there's just all different variety and, and we just kind of let it grow and develop into what it is based on like how we're feeling and how they're feeling rather than being like, well, we're here for this. So we have to make this thing happen. And predominantly, how are you meeting people? Is this internet based now or are there, I mean, I'm assuming it must be online. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, I guess you'd call them dating websites for non-monogamous people. There's some apps out there as well. And we also go in person to some meet and greets or some parties, but we find out about those all, of course, on the on the websites. Yep. And what is that like? I mean, you guys must have such a shorthand now where you can kind of communicate to each other. You know, I think this couple or this person is interesting. What do you think? And, you know, I assume that you kind of want to make a decision together. And I wonder what that process is like. It's been a learning experience. (laughs) I would would jump in real quick. I know I've talked a lot, but I think this is one of our bigger maybe sticking points is Emma has a very hard time determining based on like reading a profile if she thinks she would be interested in somebody. Mm -hmm. I need to meet someone in person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, And as do I, but I have a little bit lower I don't want to say lower bar but I have an easier (laughs) I have an easier time sort of reading a profile looking at some pictures and determining do I want to meet these people in person or am I not that interested and I definitely you could be wrong right like you could pass somebody up based off that and I I guess I'm a little more okay with taking that sort of risk of like Sort of a two-way risk, right? Like, I'm okay saying no thank you, and maybe we miss somebody that would have been great, or saying, yeah, let's go meet these people, and then it's a weird time with weird people, but you didn't get that from their profile. So, I think it's being okay with that sort of low-grade risk that you either, you might miss out on somebody, or you might go and meet somebody for dinner or drinks that that you didn't click with, but I guess the barrier of entry is pretty low. Yeah, and it's just, it's been a learning experience for both of us, but particularly for me, as far as trying to learn how to make that call, I guess, um, you know, it helps if we chat with the people a little bit ahead of time, of course, and, and get to know them a little bit. Um, but for me, I can usually tell if I'm interested in someone as far as, um, you know, at least a friendship or exploring you know, meeting that person, but going further than that, as in how attracted I am to them, really, I need to meet someone in person. Is there a fear of rejection here? You're going on dates, and at some point, you have to both talk to each other and then say, you know what, like, it's been great meeting you, but we don't want to take it further. And then I assume sometimes that happens to you as well. And there's kind of a feeling of, you know, it's it's like dating, really. Yes. And yeah, you 
described it perfectly. Yes, there's that fear of rejection. And I think that's normal, though. Like you said, it's just like dating. And in the end, I think the best situations are when everyone is an adult about it and is honest about it. And, you know, honest to a point where you don't need to, you know, tell the other person person or other couple exactly what you think, but you can be honest as far as, you know, it didn't really click. We're not interested in going further, but you're cool people or whatever. You can roll it out in a way that you would want it to be rolled out to you, I guess. And in the end, you know, yes, it stings, it it hurts, but I'd much rather that than get into anything else that's awkward and uncomfortable and not where people want to be. I think compared to the single dating world, the fear of rejection is a little lower. And I yeah, think it's, it's, I was just thinking that there's maybe a couple of reasons for that. One is, you know, at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out with another couple, I still get to go home with, with my wife or my girlfriend or my, my partner, right? Or you get mm-hmm. to go home with your partner. Mm-hmm. And also if they're like, well, we're not interested, you sort of spread that blame across the relationship right? and, you, and you say like, well, I don't know what it was. It was just something about us as a couple, but we both still love each other. So it doesn't really bother me that much. But whereas in the single dating world, if somebody's like, well, I'm not really interested in going further, there's only one person there and that was you. <laughs> and so it's like, well, something I did, something I said, some something about me, is it what I look like? Is it how I smell, like there's just, uh, you just start to internalize that. But I think, and it's it's interesting as a couple, you're just like, oh, well, they weren't into us, we weren't into them. Mm-hmm. And then you move on and like, yeah, sure, there could be like, oh, well, they were, they were super hot, I wish they were into us. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't lay up at night thinking about why another couple wasn't interested in us. But I could, I could definitely see me doing that if I was alone. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Are there ever situations where one of you wants to move forward and the other doesn't and there's kind of some argument or resentment that gets built up? I wouldn't say that either one of us is resentful. I think sometimes we might be a little disappointed. But in the end, our priority is each other and the happiness like in our relationship. And so if one of us is not comfortable or not wanting to move forward in a situation, the other one we've always been able to respect that and and you know not have it cause anger or frustration in our relationship well but it's also been sort of the catalyst for starting to explore being able to do this on our own right yeah that's true is is that finding that four way connection is actually it's really difficult to find four people who you know, I not only do I have to like the other woman, but I also have to like the other guy because he's going to be spending time with Emma, right? Mm-hmm. And so you you have to like everybody in the dynamic, at least to some degree. And I think that is sort of a really hard thing to find. And so we've we've had situations where, you know, two of us click really well. And we like all people in there and we're like, hey, you know what? You can go and do what you want to do and I'm okay with that. I'll support that. But I'm I'm okay sort of stepping out of this one for now because for one reason or another, one of us doesn't feel like they mesh with the the group as well. Yeah, and that's – I mean that can be a tricky situation to handle mm-hmm. but – it all goes back to communication and communication with each other, but also with all four of you or all three of you or however many people that happen to be in that situation. And 
making sure that everyone's okay with where you're at and being honest and upfront, but also respectful and kind. And I think that, yeah, a lot of it and all of this non-monogamy in general goes back to communication. Mm -hmm. We're sort of dancing around the topic of jealousy. And I wonder for you guys how that first came up, if there has been a lot of jealousy, given that you've been mostly going out together, and how you have managed to deal with that jealousy. I'd say overall, we have not had a ton of jealousy in our relationship. I think that there has been a few instances where one of us will feel more jealous than the other. Usually, that tends to be me. Uh, and that's something that when it happens, I try to acknowledge that it is just a normal reaction and it's a normal emotion. And it's okay to feel that way. But we just we discuss it and talk about it and figure out how to improve the situation and, and work through those feelings. But it definitely it has come up in the past, and I'm sure it will moving forward too. Well, and typically one of the things that we found that really that causes that is when one or the other of us is doing something with somebody else that we haven't made time to do in our own relationship. And so mm. it's not something that one or the other of us doesn't like to do. And, you know, that's one one thing that people get into this for sometimes is they're like, well, I like to do activity A and my partner really doesn't like to do that. And so mm -hmm. they've said, go ahead and do that with other people. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a, that's a totally legitimate reason to do this. But in, in this case, it's more of a, we really like doing this thing together and we haven't made time for it in our own relationship. And now we're doing it with somebody else. And so I think that kind of just goes back to making sure, you know, we're taking good care of our relationship before we start bringing other people into it, mm -hmm. even if it's just for a night. Right. And I think that's as we move forward into, you know, potentially separate dating, we'll see how the future goes. But I think that's something that we will always need to remember is to make sure to yeah foster our relationship and make sure our relationship's in a good place because it just, it obviously, we care about these other people that we're meeting and we want those relationships to be in a good place too. And if ours are not, we don't want something in our relationship to affect other people as well. Mm -hmm. So it's balancing all of that. How do you balance the fact that variety is the spice of life and there's just this certain energy that you get around a new person? You know, that kind of, that excited, lusty, doe-eyed glow when you meet a really cute stranger that is difficult to maintain with your partner of 14 years. Yeah, there's actually, I don't know if you've heard this term, but, um, and I don't remember where it came from off the top of my head. But there's a term called NRE, which is new relationship energy. And I think mm, it's yes. essentially exactly what you're describing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it can be, it can be hard, right? Like that's, that's definitely where some of the jealousy comes in. And it can be tricky to watch your partner be in that phase. Mm -hmm. However, there's been situations where it's happened to both of us. And I think we have an understanding of where when it happens to one of us, the other person realizes, well, that's happened to me or it will happen to me in the future as well. And so mm -hmm. we talk through it and just try to, I guess, work, th work through those feelings. But it, it is there. And it's definitely, I think it gets back to the 
piece as Finn was saying, like fostering our relationship. And if we're in a good place, it makes even if someone's having those new relationship energy feelings with somebody else, if our relationship's in a good place, then it makes that a lot easier. Yeah. And I think the other part here that is something that you have to learn early on and that you have to come to accept early on is that we are oftentimes attracted to lots of different types of people. And so if you find yourself attracted to somebody who looks nothing like your partner, it's easy for them to look at that and say, well, if you like that person, how could you be attracted to me? Mm -hmm. And I think if you can realize early on that we have the ability, we're programmed to think many different types of people are attractive, that it's not like, oh, well, she only likes people that look like that person now. Mm-hmm. And, and she's, she's done liking my flavor now. And mm-hmm. so being able to get past that and, and really the, the other piece of this is, is another sort of non-monogamy vocab word, which is compersion, which has sort of been described as like the opposite of jealousy, where you really enjoy, you get pleasure from your partner's pleasure. And that's not necessarily a sexual pleasure, but even just seeing them excited about mm-hmm. something that they're going through makes you excited for them. And and that gives you sort of the energy to like feel good about what they're doing. And I think that's something that takes a while to, to figure out how to do. Or, you know, there's some people who that's just their natural. They're just like, oh, I'm just so happy to see you happy. And they don't have those sort of jealous mm-hmm. tendencies. But Yeah. And for other people, it takes a little longer to get there. Yeah. Compersion. I've, I've never heard that word before. It's one of those, I believe it was Dan Savage. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, and I see can't remember exactly was. where it where it was born out of. But yeah, it's the basically the opposite of jealousy. So it's you derive pleasure from your partner's pleasure or other people's pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I have thought about in my life is that I often get jealous when my friends hang out without me. But in our culture, that kind of jealousy is just seen as my problem. It's like, yeah, get over it. Your friends are allowed to hang out without you. But in a relationship, I notice that my culture seems to be in the mindset of if you're jealous in your relationship, you're allowed to be upset about it. You're allowed to demand that your partner sort of make changes in order to alleviate your jealousy. And that line seems kind of arbitrary now that I look at it through your lens. I don't know if you've noticed that, a sense of, of course I'm going to feel jealous, but it has to do with, am I allowed to demand that my jealousy be the most primary emotion in the moment? Yeah. And so you're, you've touched on something here that is, that we're actually starting to see a lot, a lot more of when we interview people or when we talk to people in general. And that is, sort of this term that is relationship anarchy. And it typically is more on the on the polyamorous side, but sort of a, a high level view of what relationship anarchy is. And and please I'm not I'm not an expert on it by any means. And there's there's actually a relationship anarchy manifesto that we we learned about recently and I haven't gone and read it yet, but the, the general sort of gist of relationship anarchy is that you allow each of your relationships to sort of operate independently of other relationships you have. And what that sort of looks like is like if I'm, I'm married to Emma, but I have another girlfriend, we like my relationship with this other woman 
does not depend at all on my marriage to Emma. And we, I sort of look at those as two completely separate entities and I do what I need to do for each of them to keep them each healthy in their own way. And, and sort of what, what gets abolished when this happens a lot of times is the hierarchy in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes you'll see people are like, well, Emma's my wife, so she's my primary partner. And then there's a secondary partner. And that partner, because they're a secondary partner, gets less of my time. I'm allowed to go see them on Tuesdays and, you know, Sundays or something to that effect. But when people start talking about relationship anarchy, a lot of times they sort of, those rules kind of go out the window and it's just, this is my other partner and I do what I need to do to maintain that relationship in a healthy way. And I do what I need to do to maintain my partnership with my wife in a healthy way. And you, you sort of relax Mm -hmm. all of those pieces and you don't impose the rules from one relationship onto the other. And it's, it's not, from what I can understand, it is not a super easy thing to do, but it's mm-hmm. the people who sort of practice this feel that it is a much more equitable approach, that you're not imposing your your sort of rules or your partner's rules onto other partners. As long as it's ethical, whatever works for you, I think is important. And so if you're doing something like the relationship anarchy, like Finn just described, that's great. And that you're treating all of your relationships as as equal as you can. And that's wonderful to do, but it may not work for everyone. And so that's the key I wanted to describe as well. Because when you asked that question, I immediately thought of, well, in relationships, I don't think anyone should dictate what the other person can and cannot do. However, I think it should be a conversation. And if someone is, you know, off with their friends, every night of the week and never paying attention to their partner that they're supposed to be with, of course, that needs to be a conversation and there's some room for jealousy and some course correction there. But I don't think it should ever be where someone is controlling that other person and saying, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, if it's all within, you know, I guess, whatever is reasonable in your relationship. Mm -hmm. What you kind of expressed, AJ, was like you said, if it's your friend, it's on you to figure it out. But when you're with a partner, all of a sudden it's their responsibility to not make you jealous almost. Mm-hmm. And I think what we have to try to do is assume that our partners have our best interest at heart as well, right? And that they're, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to get caught up, but that they're never intentionally trying to hurt you or make you jealous. And if they are, then, then you probably have a, a bigger problem to work out. Yeah. But that if you can look at this and say like, well, yeah, it's still kind of on me to work through those feelings of jealousy. It's not necessarily their problem. I think you have to be cautious of your partner's feelings. But at the end of the day, it is sort of on each of us to come to terms with what what we're okay watching our partners or our friends do, right? Like if two of my friends want to go to a movie together and they don't want me there, is it that they really don't? want you there or did they maybe think you wouldn't be interested in that movie so they had they were actually thinking about you and then we're like well he probably doesn't want to come so it's again assuming like your friends and the people that love you have your best interest at heart and if they don't then i think that's a different problem maybe 
do you guys have rules that you've put in place and how have those rules been developed or evolved? Yes. The short answer is yes. We've had rules. Uh, it's And we still do have And we rules. still do. I think it's very normal. You know, if you go about non-monogamy where you're in a relationship and then you open your relationship up versus somebody who is single and decides to date multiple people and, and have their own non-monogamous dynamics, you know, it's a little different when you're taking a relationship and opening that up. And when you do that, it's natural to write down or talk about a whole list of rules mm -hmm. because that's what makes you most comfortable. That's, that's the, I guess, way to open things up without causing panic for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. To still feel like you have some control. Yeah. Exactly. I think, I think rules, rules imply safety and control, mm -hmm. like, like you just said. And, and I think oftentimes as people navigate this, they start to see the rules fall away. And I think, I think a lot of times this, this kind of goes back to something that I kind of commented on earlier, which is assuming that your partner or partners have your best interest at heart and that they're not going to do things that they think are going to hurt you or they'll be very cautious about doing those. And I think when people first start exploring this, they start to realize that and they're like, Oh, well, I don't, I don't need a rule for this. Like that's just, that's how we treat each other. Mm -hmm. We did start with more rules than we have now and but we've evolved over time to just be safe and respectful and communicate mm -hmm. and as long as you do those things we trust each other to have the other person's best interest in mind but it took a, a long time to get there too like a lot of trial and error with different rules and exploring different things like some some examples of rules that you'll hear people start out with that typically fall by the wayside somewhat quickly so one of them that we, we hear is like, no kissing. Like, we can do other things with people, but we can't, we don't want to kiss other people because that's something that's intimate and we're saving it for ourselves. And then you'll hear people who are like, well, the first time we went out on a date, that rule was gone because <laughs> they realized yeah. that like, mm -hmm. sometimes it can be a little weird to do other things if you're not allowed to kiss somebody or you, you're in the middle of something and you like go in and you start to kiss somebody. You're like, Oh shit, I'm not supposed to do that. So they, you know, they have these rules because they think they create safety and security of like, well, you know, I might lose my partner, but I'm not going to lose my partner if they don't kiss the other person. Mm -hmm. And so as you start to explore this and realize that I'm not staying with Emma because she doesn't kiss other people. Mm -hmm. that <laughs> That hasn't been the glue that held our relationship together. And so as people navigate this, a lot of times you see these rules dissolve and or morph and and change and relax. And ours has been sort of very similar. I think I think we might have had the no kissing rule for like an hour. Yeah, I think very early on we might have. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure we did, but it was for like an hour. It was very right. short. <laughs> and and then there was other rules early on, like when we first started meeting other people like we we decided that you know for the first it was over a year almost two years we didn't like have full penetrative sex with other people mm -hmm. like it right. was it was just sort of foreplay or kissing or you know fooling around but we didn't we didn't go all the way so to speak <laughs> and mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and that's another very common one is people and some people never decide to go that far and that's totally fine and I think it's just about what people are comfortable with. And another quick example is a common one too, is that you must stay in the same room or 
be in the same bed, you know, all, all of you together. Mm-hmm. But that's one that people start to relax on a little bit too as they get more comfortable. Sometimes. Sometimes, depending <laughs> on the people. When you meet another couple or another person, is there a sort of a negotiation that happens in which you get a sense of, okay, these are their rules, these are our rules, this is what's available, and this is, you know, a no-go zone? Yes. Yeah, if you're if you're doing it right. Right. That needs and, to be part of it, yes. And And there's very few things that we would say in this world that there's a right way and a wrong way. But in our opinion, one of the things that you should be doing is is negotiating all of these things ahead of time in terms of like what type of protection are you going to use? Mm-hmm. When when were you last tested for STIs? Mm-hmm. What were the results of those tests? What are things that you're interested in doing? What are things you absolutely won't do? Yeah, like I, Or maybe places you don't like to be touched or ways you don't like to be touched because it sets off some sort of trigger for you. And so having these conversations and, and having them before everybody's, you know, drunk or naked are, it's, it's really important to do. And it's something that, that we do with everybody that, that we go out on a date with. And maybe we don't do it like in the first five minutes of meeting them. Oh no. <laughs> but if it, if it seems like things are going well and that it could move beyond dinner, then it's sort of like, well, hey, here's here's what we're interested in. Here's what we're not interested in. Here's when we were tested. Here's what came back, you know. And we we put all this information out there, and that sort of leaves it open then for the other people to give that information back to you, yeah, and start that conversation and negotiation around what you want to do, how you want to do it. And well, and that can be a great filter too. I guess are kind of vetting for people as well. So if we put all this information about out there about us and we ask for that in return, if people are unwilling to talk about things or unwilling to have that conversation, that tells us a lot about that person or those people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, generally we wouldn't want to take it further at that point. And, and a real quick clarification there. Sometimes when people are super new to this, they have not they've never had that conversation. And so for us to say like, if you're, if you aren't prepared to have that conversation, we don't want to, we don't even want to go near you. That's, that's not even it. It's, it's more like if we bring this up and people are like, Oh yeah. And they just sort of, they're dodging it for the sake of like, they just don't want to talk about it. That's a totally different thing than like, Oh, well I've never thought about that. Is this a Mm -hmm. conversation people have? Like, and then it's a learning moment. Then it's, let's teach somebody how to have this conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there, I imagine there must be a lot of that depending on where people are at in their journey when you meet them. And you're able to say, hey, this is, you know, these are our best practices. Here's some advice. You know, we can help you do this. Yep, a- absolutely. And that's a mm-hmm. that's a totally different set of people than the people who are maybe trying to avoid it because they... They just don't want to talk about it. It's not sexy. We don't we don't like to talk about that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a different ball game than um, well, we've just never had this conversation, but this is super awesome. We need to think about it a little bit and get back to you. Then okay, then let's do that rather than power on when you're not comfortable or we're not comfortable. What does trust mean to you? You know, it's something that I've been wrestling a lot in my life uh, as I've been dating and coming out of an old relationship. And I wonder if you guys, I assume you've had to think about this and to what degree trust is honesty or trust is an internal feeling that you have or kind of an acceptance. Have you thought about like what trust means in the context of non-monogamy and your relationship? I think for me, it goes back to the piece like Finn said earlier of 
internalizing that your partner or the people in your life that care most about you always have your best interests in mind. And really internalizing that and moving forward to life knowing that because that really, to me at least, is is where that trust is. And also the other key thing is, you know, both Finn and I are every single day making the choice to be in the relationship that we're in. It's like, sure that we are married, but even if you're not, or if you've been married 30 years, every day you wake up, you're making that choice to be in that relationship. And so knowing that each of us are making that choice to move forward because we want to, because neither one of us are stuck here, we could always leave Mm -hmm. or figure out a different scenario like that. To me, that's a huge component of trust as well, because I'm trusting him to always have my best interests in mind. But I'm also he's demonstrating it to me by choosing to be in this relationship and not only just choosing, but fostering this relationship and putting energy and time and communication and respect all of that into our relationship. Mm -hmm. So if there's pieces of that that start to disappear or start to, you know, not be there as when when they need to be, you know, then that's a conversation that we need to have and and to work out, okay, we're at this point, either something needs to change or we need to change. And we've had that conversation. I mean, throughout 14 years of being together, that does come up sometimes and and we course correct and ultimately we both still choose to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with with that completely. The the other sort of side of the coin on the trust is we have to sort of trust other people. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we don't have 14 or 20 years of history with other people. And we kind of have to develop a level of trust pretty quickly. One of the ways that I've found or that, that we've found to be very useful in doing that is, and, and the thing that, that I think we're most concerned about is trusting that people want to be there. And for us, it's it's important that people want to be there, right? We we don't want people interacting with us that are there because they don't feel comfortable leaving the situation, mm-hmm. even though they wish they could leave. So mm-hmm. something that we've really worked to do is to make sure people know um, and give them an out, be like, Hey, you know, we'd be interested in doing this. Please feel free to say, no, we're, we're happy to, you know, call it a night or we're happy to just hang out and have a drink or we're, you know, we try to give people, that sort of invite the no from them, like mm-hmm. and make sure they know it's a safe place to say, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're not interested in doing that. And we're not going to like flip out and go crazy and mm-hmm. make them feel like shit for it. So it's that sort of one thing that we try to do at least to make sure that we trust that people want to be there. Um, trusting that they're, they're safe and that they're not going to harm us on the other hand. That one is a just sort of you have to – you learn to read people and mm-hmm. you, you – it's just something you get better and better at and practice at. And I think realizing that the world is not a super scary place and that like mm-hmm. 99.9% of people out there in the world and, – and I know, AJ, you've traveled a lot and you've met people all over the world as well and that even in countries where people will warn you that everybody's out to get you – it's such a small percentage of people. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in the world of non-monogamy, it's the same way. Mm-hmm. Like, are there, are there people out there who have, you know, maybe tested positive for something and are hiding that and being deceitful? Yeah, that, that probably happens. But the number of people who are doing that is, 
first of all, infinitesimally small, especially compared to the number of people who potentially have an STI that have no idea that they have it because so many of them have no symptoms, right? And Mm so it's just the things that you're going to worry about is it's people being malicious is the furthest thing mm-hmm. I think yeah. from our minds, you know, yeah. we're, we're not really ever worried about our physical safety in this world. One thing that's occurring to me is that, you know, I did a poll on Instagram recently. I do these polls and I asked if anyone had been betrayed and most people said yes. And I think when you open up or you are able to have these discussions about opening up, it really kind of demystifies or deflates the threat of betrayal. You know, you say every day I wake up and I say, yes, I want to be in this relationship. And I think part of that is very true because you see that you have other opportunities. You have other relationship opportunities, other sexual opportunities, whereas someone in a monogamous relationship may not be as aware of that. And they may not be actively saying every morning, you know what, though? I choose my relationship. I choose my marriage. So there's a, there's a real power, it seems, that you have there. Yeah, I would agree with that because I do think there's a lot of people out there. I mean, in our society in general, monogamy is assumed, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's just, that's what is assumed. And so there's many people that go through life that don't ever know that there is another option. Mm-hmm. And even if you never acted on it, I think that's absolutely okay as well. It's, it's knowing that there, our options and that you have a choice mm-hmm. that I think is the important part. Mm-hmm. And having those conversations with your partner can change your relationship, hopefully for the better. Because like I said, even if you never act on those, you're at least aware that you are making that choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you are making a choice as opposed to the pressure and shame of societal norms making that choice for you. Right. Yeah. I, will, I will also say that there is a, a flip side to this in that there's times where you meet people and you get back home and you're like, I am so glad I'm with you and not them. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not necessarily to be mean, but just like... Preferences. Yeah, preferences or somebody who is like maybe in a physical sense, like everything that you've ever dreamed of, whatever that means. But like when you sort of start to unwrap that, that it maybe it's not a great fit and you're like, okay, well... There's more to it. Mm-hmm. There's so much mm-hmm. more to our relationship than just what you look like or mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. who you are. Like there's this total package and there's this history and there's all of these things that, you know, you can meet somebody and look at their pictures online and be like, yeah, I definitely want that. And then you're sitting at dinner and you're like, I definitely don't want this anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that that's sort of powerful as well. It, it really helps you clarify why. Why am I with this person? And mm-hmm. why do I want to be here every day? Right. And, and the other piece, like thinking a little bit about like the word betrayal, like you said, there is still the chance to feel betrayed in, a, in an open relationship. Mm-hmm. The key is being ethical, right? To act in your partner's and your best interest. And some couples want to share everything, and that's what is important. Other couples have rules that are, you know, don't ask, don't tell type rules. And mm-hmm. that's what works for them. So when you think of being ethical, it kind of means telling everything. But if your agreement is not to tell everything, then being ethical is to still act in a way that keeps your partner and you safe, but Mm -hmm. also you're not talking about it. So Mm -hmm. if either one of those 
whatever your relationship agreement is, is broken, of course, there's going to be feelings of betrayal. Mm -hmm. And the other point I wanted to make is that, you know, non-monogamy is definitely not for everybody and it doesn't always work. And Mm -hmm. some people will start trying to be non-monogamous in in one relationship and it does not work. And then they're later on in their life, they're in another relationship and it works really well. Mm -hmm. So, I think it's not the end all be all. This is how you must do it for your life because this is what works. It's all about the learning process and communication and being respectful and ethical in your relationships and getting back to knowing that you do have that choice. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of touched on this now, this idea of shame. And that's obviously something that I'd love to delve into now. I know that Emma and Finn are not your real names. So I'm curious, how out are you about this with your friends, with your family, and why or why not? So this is something that we're actually kind of in the middle of, of going through. We've, we've started to tell some of our closest friends. For many years, we didn't tell anybody because it was between us and that's what we wanted it well to it be. was mostly just our sex life right right it was it's nobody's business really right. e- exactly exactly but now we're at a point where we want to share it more mm-hmm. and we're in, we're in that process but there is a lot of shame around it because it's not the societal norm right well, and you're afraid you're, afraid you're going to be judged and, mm-hmm. and that people are going to look at this and they're going to jump to conclusions of, well, you're not being safe, you're, mm-hmm. your relationship isn't secure, and all of these things that we can – now we can point to 14 years of history and say, well, uh, we're still here and we're doing great. And there's people who have tried to be monogamous together and have failed much more quickly than we – obviously have we haven't failed yet and so (laughs) you know it's it's sort of one of those you know pinning down the shame around it is difficult it's what are we ashamed of are we ashamed that we're just doing something that's different than everybody else is it because it's sex i don't know i think the reason we kept it from people was because it was sex and we don't typically talk about our sex lives especially i guess once you're married right everybody just starts assuming like well they're married and they have sex together and that's what they do. We don't need to talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like when you have a, a group of single people get together at the bar and they're talking about the people they're dating and who they're hooking up with and that, mm-hmm. like all of those things go out the window and now it's mm-hmm. just this assumed monogamy. And I don't know. I think, I think it just, it makes other people uncomfortable. And maybe that's just us projecting. And I think for me... I think it's the, the fear that it, it might that it, make somebody uncomfortable. Right. And we, we're typically the type of people who don't want to make other people uncomfortable. So I don't know if it's shame so much as it is like, I just don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. So I'm just not going to tell you about it. But if someone started asking me about it, I would tell them. Yeah. I think over the years, I know that I have held a lot of shame about it mm-hmm. because mostly because it deals with sex and... Mm-hmm. In society, you're not really supposed to want that, right? You're not supposed to (laughs) just not supposed to talk about sex. You're not supposed to, Mm -hmm. you know, want variety or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yet it's still a natural human emotion and need and, and thing that happened that you do that you want in your life. And so I go back and forth a lot about wanting to talk more about it or just wanting to keep it to myself. I go back and forth with that a lot. Mm-hmm. But I'm as I've gotten older, 
I want to talk more about it because I want other people to understand that it is an option mm-hmm. and that it does exist and that you can have those conversations. Um, so we're, we're in the middle of, of being a little more open about who we are with people and it's a process. Yeah. But I will say the people that we've told have been super supportive about it mm-hmm. and now we're able to have conversations with them that we haven't had before. And we don't have to hide things, you know, from like our some of our best friends. We were always making up not necessarily lies, but it's like, oh, well, we're going we're going out of town this weekend and or we're hanging out with these other people. And, mm-hmm. you know, then it's like, well, why don't you want to hang out with us? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, well, I do want to hang out with you, but it sort of has demystified you know, a 10-year chunk of our relationship Mm -hmm. that was sort of in the shadows of like, oh, Mm -hmm. well, they're going on vacation again, or they're going and doing this again, or why weren't we invited to that? Or why weren't we involved in this? And, and I think, you know, ultimately, we started feeling really bad about like, Mm -hmm. we're we're lying to our, some of the people who are closest to us. Mm -hmm. It's a burden. It is. And it's, and it, for us. And it's unnecessary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for us, it hasn't just been the sex piece. And so it's, you know, having to barbecue with friends and and they weren't there because they weren't part of that group of friends. But now that doesn't have to be that way because we've sort of told them about it and they were supportive about it. Uh And they are interested in meeting these people and they... Mm -hmm. Well, I think the key is too, like, even if it is just about the sex, that's okay. Yeah. Like that, that, that's okay. And that's what we need to get comfortable with starting to talk about because... There shouldn't be shame around that, especially like if you're doing it in an ethical way and respectful where no one's getting hurt and everyone's mm-hmm. on board and there's all of the consent that you need and all of those things, yep. then there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. getting that through my head or, and other people's heads. Apparently mine. And apparently <laughs> yours can be hard. And the other point I wanted to mention too is that it has been a little bit scary to tell some of our friends because we also don't want them to feel like we will a lie to them, which we did somewhat. Yeah. But also we don't want them to feel like we're hitting on them either. (laughs) Or judging them for not being non-monogamous. Yes. So it's just navigating that conversation when you do tell them because Ultimately, I think being honest and open about it is important, especially with the people closest in your life. I mean, the other piece is that unfortunately, if you're open about it too much, depending where you're, what you do for a living and where you live, Mm -hmm. it could definitely impact your career. Mm -hmm. And that's sad and unfortunate, but it is the way it is. Mm -hmm. So I don't blame anybody for ever being discreet about it. I think that's totally okay as long as everyone's on board and no one's being harmed. But I also think there's a lot of people, if you have the ability to be more open about it, I think it's really important to be open about it because then it's just more and more people learn about it and it becomes hopefully someday something that's not as shameful to talk about. 
Exactly. I mean, you've touched on the fact that shame is a kind of communal emotion. And the more you talk about the things you're ashamed of, the more you're actually helping everyone feel less shame about it. That's, you know, one of the best antidotes to shame is just to talk about it. Right. So I think that you are doing a service to everyone, even though it's uncomfortable, even though some people might judge you, you are actually doing a service, I think, when you talk about it, though it's difficult and it is risky. Yeah. Have you ever considered, would you ever tell your extended family? Um. <laughs> yes, we have. And, and well, our goal wait, is... We, what? we have not. You said, yes, we have. We have considered oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we have considered it. We okay. have not done it yet. Okay. I think, we, I think we will. And we're in an easier position to do so. Something I mentioned earlier, right, is we can kind of look to this history we have and say... right. You had no idea that this was what was happening for the last 10, 12, 13 years of our relationship. And now you know nothing needs to change. Mm -hmm. The proof is in the pudding, as they say. Exactly. And so it's just something that I think it's going to be awkward and we just don't want to do it. And so we just haven't done it yet. Mm -hmm. We were testing it out on our friends and, <laughs> and, and that succeeded. And so now the next step is, you know, telling our, telling our families. Yeah. And I think the other piece is telling friends or family, you know, if you tell somebody and they react negatively, Please, like, at least if it were me, if I told someone and it was, they reacted negatively, I would give them space and time and also probably a few resources so that they could learn a little bit more. Mm -hmm. If they continue to be shitty to you, then that tells you a lot about them. Yeah. Well, that that relationship was sort of built on false pretenses and that they, they only liked you because of who they thought you were. Mm -hmm. And it's important to remember that, and this is my belief, that the way people shame us is always with their own shame. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's it's really more about them and their upbringing and their kind of culture and beliefs than it is about you. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. It's still it's still scary, right? Absolutely. I mean, even though you know that and you, you can reason with that, it's still a scary thing to do. Yeah, anytime we lose an important connection, it's going to hurt, even if it's their fault. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So I think we're coming to the end here. Um, why don't you tell the listeners about your own podcast? I mean, well, first of all, thank you, AJ, for, for having us on and for giving us a platform to talk about this because it's something we enjoy talking about and, and sharing. So again, thank you. Thank you. And we have our own podcast. It's called Normalizing Non-Monogamy. And it's a weekly show where we interview people who have been or are exploring non-monogamy in some capacity. So we have people who have been doing it for 30 years. We also have people who are brand new and haven't ever even met anybody else. They're just having those conversations. So we try to bring on as diverse of a group of people as we possibly can, people in all different relationship styles, and that's the goal. So the way the show works is every week we interview these people, uh, whether it's a couple or a, a solo person. We haven't done a triad, but we would. We haven't. <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and we just kind of let them tell their story and give them a platform to share what it looks like for them. And We've got 80, 90 some episodes out right now and we're going strong and having a great time with it. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I really think that 
it's a topic that meshes with shame so closely and really challenges a lot of assumptions that we have about how you have to be, just like you said, to learn that there are other options, even if you don't take them, is really powerful. So I think you guys are doing such important work, and I am excited to listen to more of your podcast. And I thank you so much for opening up with me about these really uncomfortable topics. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks for, yeah, for thank doing you. what you do as well. Thank you so much.